Holy Spirit, we welcome you that you are the one who comes and speaks truth and comfort. You bring conviction and not condemnation. You call us to holiness and life and that more abundantly. And so we receive you. We receive what you're going to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you can, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verse 7. Some of you might recognize that, uh, that address. It's a famous verse. And, uh, and it's one that's super, super relevant. Let's see, my Bible has got, it used to have Timothy's in it. There's Hebrew, yeah. yeah, okay. I'll find it eventually. There it is. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. <clears throat> this is one. So I'm going to read it in my translation, which is New American Standard. Some of your, some of your translations are going to use a slightly different word, and that's okay. And you'll catch it. And, and in fact, I'll even ask if somebody has a, a Bible that uses different words. But this is a pretty famous verse. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And so who has a verse? So let me read that again. So for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Who has something different in your Bible? Oh, they use it. Is yours uh, NLT? New Living Translation? Aha. I used to I, I start calling that the extra wordy version. Because if it can mean it, they just add it all in. It's really helpful. I like that NLT. That's good. So yours has got both. Anybody else? What is your... Tanya? Mm-hmm. And a sound mind. That's right. I think mine said, was it discipline? I think. Yeah, I, I memorized it in, in, in King James. So that's, that's what it comes to my mind. Anybody else? Is there any other variations? Heidi? And self-control. That's right. So Heidi's reading out of the ESV, I think. And so uh, ESV is nice because it's a, it's a very literal translation. Um, the, the word, incidentally, uh, that's translated as uh, variously of fear or timidity um, I can't pronounce it, but it's actually, from what I could see, it only occurs, this is the only spot in the New Testament that one word appears. There's variations of it, but that particular word only appears once, and that be, might be one reason why it's variously translated a little bit. But, but we, can catch, uh, we can catch it, right? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And then he, and then he juxtaposed that, he, con, he, he says, but instead of that, he gives us what? There's three things. Power. Love and a sound mind. And, uh, and the, the first word, power, is dunamis. The second one, love, is here, is agape. And the third one is a word that I can't pronounce very well, so I'm not going to try. And, uh, and so power, love, and a sound mind. So here's it is. Check yourself. There's a difference between denial of reality and walking in peace. Right? This is the thing I was just talking about. Denial is like taking a drug to cover something up. Peace means that we see beyond and we see what's really there. So there's some obvious fears. Here's talking about God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So there's some obvious fears like getting a really bad disease, right? Some of us have experienced that fear. Um, another one would be, uh, 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 where is it? It's like we, some of us might have been experiencing fears of social unrest, right? Because this is real. We can see evidence in the news. Um, and what are some other things? Like obvious fears that we, we can be afraid of. Fear of going crazy. Yep. 
Everybody's like, mm, yeah, right? What other fears? Fear, fear of losing something important, right? Whether it's a, a, a relationship or a, a position or a, a place of peace or, or whatever it is. What are some things that you might fear? Fear of failure? Oh, man. Right? Because that's a hard one because it's tied to our identity. At least I, I think about that. Yeah, that's a huge one. And so there's, there's some pretty heavy and, and kind of, I would say, some of our, our biggest fears. Um, we have these things that, that can grab us. But, but as long as we talk about the safe things, you can all agree with me. But I think there's actually some other fears that actually go deeper and they're less obvious, but they're more powerful. And so um, there is a. There's one that is, I feel like, has really been highlighted um, for me and and even people around me in the last uh, couple of weeks, and that is the fear of man. Um, and and if you listen to the title of fear of man, it doesn't sound very scary or or it sounds kind of kind of benignish actually. If you just by the title, it doesn't have some terrible <laughs> sort of name, right? But but I have experienced the fear of man my entire life. And when I say man, I'm meaning people, and I'm meaning what people think, right? And so so when when we change our behavior, behavior because our perception of potential acceptance or rejection or ridicule, but not because we agree with the thing, that's reflecting a fear of man, right? And so, for example, it might be something if we're seeking everybody's approval, so we go and get the cool shoes. I don't know if these are cool or not. I like them. But if we go and get like whatever cool thing, because we know that that is going to gain us favor, but it's not because we like that. We're like, these are the most uncomfortable shoes I've ever owned. I hate them. But I look cool and I'm favored by other people because they're the right kind, right? That would be a form of the fear of man. Um, I know like when I was in high school, um, I was was pretty shy and I was uh, afraid. And there's a lot of things I did not do that I wanted to do because I was afraid that somebody would ridicule me. Were there really, truly people raiding in the wings to ridicule me? No. The reason why is because I didn't matter and they didn't care. But at the time, there's this monster called other people's opinion that ruled my life. Now, I'm a couple years older now, and now I at least know the monster has a name. But I tell you, I'm still vulnerable to that. And because you're humans, you are too, right? And imagine if you have, um, there's, there's, there's an enemy of our souls that knows our vulnerabilities and can leverage these things against us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, uh, there's one of my favorite verses. I'm hoping I'm giving you the right address since it's one of my favorite verses. It says, um, Um, It is for freedom that Christ set you free and therefore do not return again to a yoke of bondage or a yoke of slavery. And so I used to puzzle over that. It feels like, oh, that's like one of those like ironic backwards sort of like freedom thing statements. But later on, I actually sat down and I paused and I read it and it says, Jesus set me free with the purpose that I would be 
free, that it would work and I would live out freedom. But then in the verse, it makes it very clear that he can set me free and then I can give up that freedom and return to the yoke of slavery. I can choose to give up the freedom that Jesus bought for me. But it's not his heart that I would do it. And so one of the things I'm, I'm just realizing is that the fear of man is not just something that I struggle with. It's not something that just a few people struggle with. It is completely endemic in our culture. And it is so pervasive and so powerful that we don't even see it. I should actually be reading my notes. Okay, turn over with me, John chapter 9. Uh, Gospel of John. Um, there's a story. There's actually a couple of different stories, three different stories. But if we, if we have time, we're going to look at real quick. So this is a story when Jesus um, heals a blind man. And this, this story is fun. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's kind of fun because it goes through and everybody's different perspective on this healing. Everybody has a different view on, on this man getting healed. And someday I'll preach a whole sermon on it because it's beautiful. But in John chapter 9, verse 18, this man is healed. The Jews, and when it says Jews here, it means the Pharisees, like the religious leaders, not just common people, the religious leaders, are investigating because it happened on a Sabbath. And they're pretty sure that healing has to do with work and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath and therefore healing people on the Sabbath is bad and they think that this Jesus guy did it. So the Jews, verse 18, the Jews then did not believe it of him when they, they asked him about, you know, what happened. And that, that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received this, his sight back. And questioned his parents saying, is this your son who you say, who you say, it's an accusation, was born blind? And then how does he see? As if this supernatural gift, this transforming thing that took a man who had been blind and gave him his sight. We should be celebrating. No celebration. Somehow it became bad. So his parents, then, so they're asking the parents, how does he see? And his parents say, verse 20, answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We know that, have to confess it. But how he now sees, we don't know. Who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. And it's, uh, he will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said this, not because they didn't know. I'm reading, putting that between the lines. But because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. That is not right. That is not playing fair. And the parents, bless their hearts, are falling to the fear of man. But there were real consequences to the fear of man because the Jews actually could kick them out of the synagogue, could really impact their life. If you don't play our game, if you don't bow to our authority, we will not receive you. They're being threatened with rejection that will hurt their feelings and challenge their identity as upright, good, respectable people. Interesting. And so they, in this instance, they turn around and they would rather have the approval of the religious leaders and the people with social authority in their culture. They want that. And they're willing to compromise the truth. It doesn't say they didn't know the answer. 
Actually, it does say, says that we don't know. But, um, excuse me. But, um, but they're willing to compromise. They're not going for the truth. They want to shove it off because they don't want to suffer the consequences of social rejection, right? These people are suffering from the fear of man. But I would also point out that the power of the Pharisees was completely dependent on all the people agreeing that they had that power. The Pharisees, in and of themselves, I don't believe they had any innate power to do this. They would have some social power that was built around the structure of their culture, but the reason why they had it is because the people gave it to them. Everybody agreed these religious leaders get to tell us whether we're good or bad. Everybody agrees that these religious leaders have this authority to do this. Everybody agrees in our culture who gets to tell us what matters and who's right and who's wrong. And the reason why they can do it is because we give them permission to do it. I think that's significant. It's significant that we see who it is that we give permission to tell us who we are. Can you see the circle? Because there's people who will gladly tell you who you are, gladly direct you, gladly take away your respectability or give it to you based on your behavior. And those people are not necessarily lined up with truth and they don't necessarily love you. Some of them just want your money. They want you to buy their product, right? And it's just practical, right? Other people want other things. But this is part of the thing. If we're going to be free, because Christ set us free of the law of sin and death, he set us free from this culture, this kingdom, so that we can live as citizens of a different kingdom and a different culture, right? That means we get to disconnect our identity from those who don't love Jesus, who might tell you who you are, right? This is stuff that we, we, we're like fish in water. I'm, I'm in the same water with you. This isn't, this isn't like, you know, I'm with you. This is an ongoing battle to align ourselves with truth. So I don't know about you, but I have allowed that type of fear to control me, certainly more than I would want to admit and probably more than I know as a fish in water. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, including the fear of man but power and love and a sound mind. And so uh, I believe that fear of man is leveraged against us more than we recognize. And it's easy to justify bowing to the fear of man. It's easy to justify it because a lot of times it's rooted in what appear to be facts. But we are not to live in fear. So when we run into fear, just as I was starting to run into bitterness yesterday, we stop and we repent and say, I will not live in fear. Fear is not of the kingdom of God. And I repent. I will change direction. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for bowing before a false God and give me the strength to walk in truth. Right. And so this is something I encourage you to take that up, take up that pattern. We identify what's true. We repent, which means we turn and go in a new direction. We ask for forgiveness, and then we go in a new direction. We remain that way. And if you have to do that 40 times a day, that's a good start. If it's 400, we're starting to get honest. Right? This is, this is real life. Okay, so um, as we go forward, I encourage you, look for places to repent. 
A huge amount of our freedom comes when we choose to say, I see this thing is wrong. I confess it's true. God, please forgive me. Help me get it right. And he'll do that. Okay, here's an example. Jonah chapter 1, end of Jonah chapter 1. This is, this is one of those rare times when Jonah gets to be a good example, right? Jonah's always the guy who ran away, got swallowed by a big fish, not a whale. And then he, uh, and then he got puked up. It was disgusting. And, but here's some things where Jonah got something actually right. And so, um, let's see, Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. And so here they are in the storm. He's in the ship. The people don't know him. They've been in the, sh- in the storm for a while. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, come let us cast lots so we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah, the new guy. Then they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? So I'm, I'm guessing that he, they're not, that's not the whole thing that he explained. He probably explained everything to them. They said, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. These are pagans who know that you shouldn't run away from the God who has real power. The pagans are preaching to the prophet. Come on, you got any common sense? Don't do this. Plus, they had evidence that they were right, right? And so then they say, well, what should we do in order to fix this situation? And Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. And so the men are like, also getting it right where Jonah was not. They're like, no, we would like to show you compassion We would like to not throw you overboard and watch you drown. How about we try harder? But then, of course, that doesn't work. They have to throw him overboard. And then the storm is calmed. And then there's this whole thing about him going into the the belly of a fish. Um, What I'd like to point out is that that whole passage is when Jonah was returning to his role as a prophet. This was him turning around. Because he chose to fear God enough to speak the truth to these men when he got challenged. He said, right? He said, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. He didn't just say, I'm on vacation. He said, he said, I am fleeing from the presence of God. Conviction came upon him. He spoke the truth. Then Jonah, he quit trying to live like the other people. He quit trying to do what he wanted. And instead, he aligned up with the call of God on his life. And he knew it would cost him something. And so Jonah then gave up his life for these sailors. He said, if you sailors are going to survive, I have to die. I can no longer live for my purpose. This is a picture of what Jesus did for us, right? And Jonah got something right. I love having that he got something right. And so he was returning to his role of a prophet. First, he spoke truth about what God was doing and said, honestly. Secondly, he laid his life down for the people that he is there to deliver a message to, right? Not ultimately it's Nineveh, but they were in that moment, right? And then so, and what that required is that Jonah died to himself. He surrendered of himself. And honestly, um, it was actually a comment that Eric made uh, a few months ago 
But I've come to believe that Jonah did not float around inside the belly of a fish, breathing and choking for three days. I think he died. I think he died in there. If you actually look at the language, it talks about him going down to the pit. Typically, that language is not talking about the bottom of the ocean. Talking, that's the language that's used about, a, about the, the immaterial, the spirit realm. And it's and this thing. So his body, and he did pray from inside. It says he prayed from inside the fish. So undoubtedly, he had an opportunity to pray. And I could be wrong because it's not explicitly clear. But, um, but I suspect that he, he died to self and laid down his life and even his life was taken from him. But then it was raised up and restored to him. And, uh, and whether he physically died or not, it doesn't matter. Three days in the middle of a fish, I don't know. Seems pretty death-like to me. That seems pretty awful. And then there's one other lesson from Jonah, because you guys know that he went to Nineveh, and he really didn't want to deliver the message because he really wanted judgment to fall on Nineveh. He wanted them to be blasted. Um, uh, I can't remember it was uh, hundreds of years or decades later, but they actually get, did get destroyed. Um, but not on that day because they repented. But here's the thing. Even after Jonah was functionally resurrected and he was aligning himself with God, he still chose to return to the place of rebellion. Remember? It's for freedom that Christ set you free, so don't return again to the yoke of bondage. Jonah... He went through, he surrendered, he got right, he carried the word of God, he surrendered, he laid his life down, and then later on he showed up at Nineveh and he went back to rebellion again, right? Don't do that. There, that was the short person, whole point. Just don't do that. When God sets you free, he gives you a purpose, you guys go into that, stay there. Don't go back to where you were. Okay, so here's the challenge. We'll close. Um, what... What would you do differently if you truly, honestly did not fear people and truly, honestly did fear God? What would be different in your life if you honestly did not fear other people, but you completely feared God? I think it's a relevant question. What's that? Your choice of shoes. <laughs> Maybe, right? But yeah. So number one, I think that's important. I'll even say it again. What would you do differently if you truly did not fear people anymore, but you only feared God? Second one, so challenge us to repent. Establish an internal personal culture of repentance. Identify and turn away from the fear of man and any other thing that comes up every time it rises up this week. So this week, when you catch yourself making a decision or trying to alter the interpretation of facts to your favor so that you can get to a certain destination, right, or reach a conclusion that's more convenient than the inconvenient one, I encourage you to choose repentance this week. God, I realize that I'm doing this. Help me be strong enough to walk in truth. Help me to not fear anybody except for you. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Okay, there's some guys that got it right. We, we're, um, we'll pause. I'm not going to continue deeper in other than just tell you the story. You guys know it. Um, these these uh, three guys, this is in Daniel chapter 3. The favorite, favorite names in the Bible to say, Shadrach, 
Meshach, and Abednego. You say, it just feels good. Say that with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What cool names. Um, so if Heidi and I have another child, it's, uh, it's a good thing none of those start with an A. No, there's Abednego. Heidi, there's an Abednego. There it is. So these guys, they chose to fear God more than a furious, raging king backed up with an army, backed up with a whole nation of people bowing before a gold idol with a really good band. Remember, the band is mentioned. They were good enough they talked about them. And, and then, and then the, the consequences of not bowing to the will of the king and not bowing before this false idol was to be tossed into a furnace that was going to melt their skin off. In fact, it was so hot because they did choose to fear God and not fear man that the, the people who are fearing the king and threw them in, they lost their lives in obedience to the king. Right? Do you guys remember this? That, that the guys who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the soldiers who threw them into this furnace, they actually died getting close enough to the furnace to throw them in. Crazy. They really feared their king to get that close to a furnace. Of course, they would have maybe died a different way. But what happened to those guys who chose to fear God instead of fear man? The king looked in from farther away and said, we threw three people in, but I see four people. It says they bound them inside their clothes and tossed them in. They threw in their their bonds, the thing that bound them, burned off, but nothing else. So they were free walking around inside this furnace and they were not alone. When you fear God and you don't fear man, you will not be alone. Amen? This is good news. But the thing is, is the angel did not show up before they were thrown in the furnace. That's also helpful to remember. They had to go all the way. Sometimes that part's kind of scary. We can, we can be honest about that. That can be a little bit scary. But God is faithful. We're going to close in prayer and then uh, I'm going to sing a song. Um, so Heidi, if you can come and be ready to sing a song. Um, Lord God, we thank you for your grace. God, I thank you that you have called us to walk in truth and to walk in fear of you and nobody else and nothing else. When we fear you alone, the other things will be set right. If, if our country feared you alone, there would be love everywhere. There would be prosperity, there would be grace, there would be goodness. The economy would be fixed, the politics would be fixed, racial division would be fixed. Accusations would be muted. There would be grace between people and mutual honor because your character would be going through the people. And so, God, we ask that you would remove the fear of man and replace it with a fear of you. And Jesus, right now, I repent of fearing people and people's opinions more than you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make me strong enough to fear you and to align with you above every other thing. And God, I ask that you would do that for my friends here. 
and that this would be a seed and it would quickly grow and spread across our nation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.